Welcome back to Steph's Business Bookshelf and this episode about the book, It Doesn't Have to Be Crazy at Work. Keep listening to find out what you need to be rethinking if you're redesigning what work looks like for you and your team at the moment. You're listening to Steph's Business Bookshelf, doing the reading so you don't have to. Welcome back. I chose this book because I thought it was pretty perfect timing given some places, some countries, some cities are starting to slowly return to work now. Not sure whether everyone will be going back to an office anytime soon or rushing back in large numbers to offices, but at the same time, it is starting to move in that kind of direction. So wanting to bring a bit of a book and, and really to mark the fact that this period of time should be a good excuse to rethink how we've been working. Because let's face it, and I've said this before on other podcasts, is it kind of sucks and it doesn't really work. And there's so many things that are wrong with how we were or how we are currently working. This book sets out a completely different way of thinking about many of the concepts of work that we often take for granted. And I really enjoyed the way that it puts across in a really easy to read and easy to kind of go, oh yeah, that doesn't make sense at all. Why am I doing that way? some of the alternatives that are available. The book is called It Doesn't Have to Be Crazy at Work. It's obviously pretty fitting. And here is a little bit more about it. In this timely manifesto, the authors of the New York Times bestseller Rework broadly reject the prevailing notion that long hours, aggressive hustle, and the whatever it takes are required to run a successful business today. Long hours, an excessive workload, and a lack of sleep have become a badge of honor for modern professionals. But it should be a mark of stupidity, the authors argue. Sadly, this isn't just a problem for large organisations. Individuals, contractors and solopreneurs are burning themselves out the same way. The answer to better productivity isn't more hours. It's less waste and fewer things that induce distraction and persistent stress. It's time to stop celebrating crazy and start celebrating calm. And that's taken from the Google book blurb about the book. There's two authors of this book, Jason Fried and David Heinemeister Hansen. Let's find out a little bit more about them. David Heinemeier Hansen is the co-founder of Basecamp and New York Times bestselling co-author of Rework and Remote. He's also the creator of the software toolkit Ruby on Rails, which has been used to launch and power Twitter, Spotify, GitHub, Airbnb, Square, and over a million other web applications. Originally from Denmark, he moved to Chicago in 2005 and now lives between US and Spain with his wife and two sons. In his spare time, he enjoys 200 mile an hour race cars in international competition and taking cliche pictures of sunsets and kids and ranting far too much on Twitter. The other author, Jason Fried, is the co-founder and president of 37 Signals, a privately held Chicago-based company committed to building the best web-based tools possible with the least numbers of features necessary. 37 Signals products include Basecamp, HiRise, Backpack, Campfire, Tadalist, and WriteBoard. 37 Signals also developed and open-sourced the Ruby on Rails programming framework, and the products do less than the competition intentionally. Jason believes there's real value and beauty in the basics. Elegance, respect for people's desire to simply get stuff done, and honest ease of use are the hallmarks of 37 Signals products. Both of those little blurbs were taken from the Amazon author summaries, and all of those links are in the show notes. I've also included links in the show notes for you to find out a little bit more about the 
book. There's a longer description on the Basecamp website and also a link to Basecamp to find out a little bit more about that product yourself. It's one that I know has become very popular over this period of time as people are working remotely and looking for better ways to communicate and gather all of their stuff as a team. As I mentioned, I really enjoyed this book. It's a pretty quick read, it's not super long and it's pretty simple in terms of the layout and each of the little sections are pretty short, probably three or four pages at the most. And it's really set out as a set of principles which are broken into a few different categories. So you could dive in and out of it, you could definitely pick it up and just dip in and out, but you could probably sit and read it in probably two sittings at the most as well. Let's get into it. The three big ideas I took from the book, it doesn't have to be crazy at work. Number one, rethink the basics. And when you go through the book, you'll see that there are pretty much all of the basic things we assume are just a given with work and running a business have been thrown in the bin by Jason and David. For example, they have no goals. The, the only goal they really have is to do the best work every day. No revenue targets, no retention goals, nothing else. Just do the best work. Now they do say in the book quite clearly, that doesn't mean they are lazy. It doesn't mean that they don't want to improve things and they're not always looking to do things better. That's, that's kind of the point. But that's all they want to do is to make things better without the tyranny of targets and goals. They also argue that there is no need to change the world. A lot of companies are starting up and with these big lofty goals and ambitions to change the world through pet food or change the world through whatever, you know, whatever it is. And they're arguing that you, you don't need to do that. You don't need to pretend that whatever it is you're doing is going to save the world or save everyone. You can just create something for a small group of people and do it really well. Similarly to that, they throw away the idea of comparison. They don't look at who's got or look at another competitor and think about, oh, they've got this market share and how are we going to steal market share from them? They just don't. They don't think, oh, that person's sponsoring this event. Maybe we should sponsor an event too. Again, no. They just do what they do, create a really great product, make it the best product it can be. And that is the intent. There's this idea that chaos is a good thing and if unless there's some chaos going on there's no point and you're not not living or you're not working hard enough but they really do push the idea of comfort and calm are fine and you can still do really good meaningful work in a comfortable and calm environment in terms of the other basics that they challenge they challenge the fact that eight hours is plenty of time or that's what they're arguing that eight hours is plenty of time and if it's not you actually need to get better at choosing and prioritizing what you're spending your time on not just throwing more hours at the problem. They also operate the idea of office hours, which is similar to, is used in a lot of universities with professors, but they're in their office hours in their work or in base camp. What it is, is that managers or leaders can only, only have certain times of the week available for people to book time with them. So it makes it hard for those constant interruptions. Whereas constant interruption, as we all know, and you probably know too, is pretty normal part of most businesses' days. Similarly to that, meetings are a last resort. They have meetings very, very rarely at base camp. And there's a quote in the book that says, any conversation with more than three people is typically a conversation with too many people. So even when they do have meetings, they're incredibly diligent at cutting who needs to be there, with three people generally being the most. 
So that's some of the basics that they have rethought around hours, around how they should be spent, around constant goal setting and creating all this stress and pressure over goals for no good reason, which then obviously goes into creating a more comfortable and calm environment rather than chaos and all these and deadlines and things. Deadlines is something else in the book. They, they call them dreadlines, but they don't have. And, and obviously challenging meetings, which are the bane of most of our lives. So I'd encourage you, if you are thinking about redesigning some of the way you work at the moment, get back to the basics. All of these constructs are human constructs and therefore are false and therefore can be challenged and redesigned. We are only a victim to them if we let ourselves be. So that's big idea number one, rethink the basics. Big idea number two is protect what matters. And what they argue is what matters is the time and attention of employees. Not the money, not the copyrights, not the secrets, although obviously not customer data, that is obviously to be protected, but the time and the attention of the employees is really important. So this means that the time that their employees spend at work has to be quality time, not what they describe as a mess of minutes. And we've all had hours like that. An hour is either 60 minutes as a solid hour, or it is 60 one minute intervals, which are just a bit of a mess. So that's the the mess of minutes where you're finding you're doing work in the cracks and you're putting 10 minutes in here and 15 minutes there and a two minute conversation there. It's all just a bit of a mess. One of the other big ideas that protects the time and attention of employees is a dedication to asynchronous communication. For example, the daily weekly updates are put on their platform and anyone can read them at any time. They don't have to call a meeting for everyone to come together all at the same time, no matter what it's disturbing, and do the updates. They are done asynchronously on the platform. They make it hard to get in someone's calendar. I mentioned the office hours earlier, that's obviously one of the examples, but you have to really fight to get in someone's calendar and have a a damn good reason for doing it. Another way of protecting what matters is to making sure everyone's getting in a good night's sleep. So they're not pulling all-nighters, they're not doing late hours, they're not stealing people's weekends. They are advocating for what matters, time and attention. And you can only have your attention in particular if you are well rested and are not stressed. And then finally, the other way they protect what matters is by having library rules in the office. So it's quiet, there is no open plan nonsense and Quite funnily, when I was going over the book and pulling out some of the the ideas for this uh, just in the last couple of days, there's a quote in the book that says that that distractions spread like a virus. Once one person's got it, everyone becomes infected, which is quite fitting at the moment when talking about open plan offices and and some of the dangers with them. And I think this is hopefully going to be, this period of time is going to be the death of open plan offices for, or at least for a period of time, hopefully that will become a more permanent thing because once one person is having a conversation or asking someone something or just just generally being distracting, everyone else suddenly ends up distracted too. So again, way of protecting everyone's time and attention is to have library rules in the office. So it's quiet and there are no horrible open plan layouts. So that's big idea number two, protect what matters. Something you might want to think about is how do you protect what matters in your day? So whether that's blocking out time in your diary and focusing on creation and getting output out first thing in the morning or whenever you're at your best, and then maybe using other parts of the days for meetings and only letting your calendar be available for certain times of the day or week. And yes, it might be a challenge to change that. It might be a challenge to have that conversation with your team, but I encourage you to do it because if you don't, no one else is going to. Big idea number three, 
possibly my favourite one, is to forget family-like cultures. I really hate family-like cultures or people saying, oh, it's great at work, it's just like a family. It makes me want to vomit because it's usually an excuse for poor behaviour. I was very excited, therefore, to see this in the book because they think the same. They think it's an excuse for poor behaviour, it's an excuse for power wielding, it's an excuse for weekend stealing because you're doing it for the family and it's just rubbish. We shouldn't need to pretend, and this is what they say in the book, is we shouldn't need to pretend to be a family, to respect each other, to care and to do the right thing. It just drives bad behaviour. There's a couple of things that they point out around culture and around the fact that if you are in an owner-operated business, the owner's comments can weigh very heavy. So the owner making a flippant comment around, what are we doing about this? Suddenly will shoot that thing to the top of the tree in terms of priorities, even though it's just a throwaway comment. So if you are the owner, then you need to know that you have that impact and you need to probably explain and expand on some of the off-the-cuff questions that you ask or comments that you make or or suggestions because people are going to take those as that's the thing we have to do because the owner said so or the owner asked the question so it must be something really important. Similarly, any leader, not just an owner, needs to be conscious of role modelling because everyone is looking at the leaders and even looking at each other, not just from a, a leadership perspective but leaders as peers, leaders as other members of the team. People are looking for those social cues to see what's accepted and what's not, which links as well to the fact that bad habits, and they're talking in the book about how bad habits beat good intentions. So for example, if you start your business crazily, it will stay crazy. So if you harness that idea of chaos and craziness, that's the only way that you get validated and your ego gets a little bit of a stroke, then the chances are it's going to be hard to break and you will stay working in that mode. And it doesn't take long for that new normal. So even if you don't start that way, but then a project happens, for yeah, things just happen, it is life and things get a bit crazy, it'd be very easy for that to stay as the normal. Similarly, if you are maybe coming out of a corporate environment, for example, where things are a little bit crazy and that is the, the norm and that's what's expected and that's what's valued and rewarded and recognized, etc., and you are rightly coming out of that environment to maybe start your own thing, know that that stuff will stick. Know that as much as you may intend for this to be different, if you're used to getting your validation through some of those feelings of busyness or that importance of doing certain things or not doing certain things like sleep, then that will stick with you. So it does take a lot of work to undo, even just within yourself. Similarly, it doesn't take much in an organization or in a, in a group for a new normal to emerge. So a one-off comment or a disrespectful engage and suddenly that becomes allowed if it's not called out and it's allowed to fester because the role modeling will happen and people will think, oh, okay, that's okay around here. We're allowed to talk about each other behind their backs or, or whatever the, the behavior is that's, that's happened. So that's big idea number three, forget family-like cultures. Think about what you want to foster as a team environment and do that instead. So there we go. That's the three big ideas about the book, It Doesn't Have to Be Crazy at Work. Big idea number one, rethink the basics. Big idea number two, protect what matters. And big idea number three, forget family-like cultures. Hopefully this has given a few things for you to think about, a bit of food for thought. Maybe it's one you even want to send your team and then have a conversation about what is it that we would like to redesign? How would we like to protect what matters? What does matter? Let's actually define that as a team. It's a really great, great conversation to have together. In a lot of the work I do with teams, it's, it's these things that 
that fall apart because it's if the basics aren't there, if we don't know what we're doing, if we don't know what our values are, if we don't know how to meet, what we talk about, who needs to be there, who doesn't need to be there, what method we're using, even those kind of things, then it gets pretty messy pretty quickly. So I really invite you to have those conversations with your teams. Have a think about what work looks like to you. What does a good work experience look like? Especially as now everyone's almost given, been given the permission to, to challenge this and say, actually, I do want to work from home more often, or I do want to work different hours or a different flow during my week and spread my work in a different way so that I can protect what matters, not just your time and attention, but also the other things that you're doing. If you do have these conversations, I'd love to know. All my contact details, as usual, are in the show notes. You can drop me a note on LinkedIn or Instagram. If it is something you need help with with your team, this is the kind of work I do. So also drop me a note and again, love to hear from you and have a bit of a brainstorming conversation about you doing this with your team. But otherwise, until next time, happy reading. Happy reading.